welcome back to the What's Cooking podcast with me, Beth, and my co-host, Kat. We talk to food and drink entrepreneurs about their businesses, how they got started, and what gets them out of bed in the morning. Today we're talking to Pip, founder of Pip and Nut, creators of 100% natural, nutritious nut butters, sold internationally and stocked in over 5,000 stores across the UK and Europe. Pip and Nut is the fastest growing nut butter brand in the UK. Pip recently won NatWest Startup Entrepreneur of the Year Award and has been named a Forbes 30 Under 30 Europe. We're so excited to hear more. Hi, Hi Pip. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Would you like to start off by telling us about your first ever job? My first ever job? So you want me to go back as yeah, far as that? So um, I used to work in a tea shop with my sisters um, where I grew up, which basically involves... Um, yeah, serving old ladies cream teas on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and it was quite funny because I've got three older sisters, um, two of which I worked with. So on the surface, when we were talking to customers, we'd be all sweet and, and lovely. And then behind the scenes in the kitchen, we'd have these like quiet <laughs> arguments about who was going to fill up the drinks cabinet and, <laughs> and who needs to do the washing up. So um, but I loved it, actually. And actually, from that first job I had when I was sort of, I think I was 13 um, and yeah it was super fun I think um, particularly as like when you're younger I think it's so important to have you know a, a, a job that you're working on I think it gives you a bit more kind of appreciation of money which makes me sound like my dad when I say that <laughs> um, but yeah I've always been one of those uh, people throughout sort of university and stuff have had side projects or, or jobs to kind of keep myself um, going from finance point of view. And did you continue working in food? Yeah, so, um, I mean, my journey to starting up with Nut has been probably, yeah, it's not, not so connected. And actually, you know, I never thought I'd run a business. Um, and, and to be honest, I, I did a degree in sort of anthropology and geography. Very much thought I'd kind of pursue, like, the creative arts. Um, so I went to work at different kind of art centres and ended up at the Science Museum um, doing kind of theatre production. They have a, a theatre there. So, yeah, it, you know, food and drink actually wasn't really something that was part of my kind of career path before picking up. But I think it's always been like behind the scenes. I've, I've done a lot of kind of, well, I, I kind of grew up in a big family. You know, mealtimes were a big thing from a very early age. I used to cook meals like once a week for my family. It was for my mum went back to work and needed the family to kind of pull it, pull in a bit more. And, you know, I was kind of part of the Jamie Oliver generation. Um, and, yeah, I've always had an interest in food. Um, so it's, it's not been necessarily a career path that I've pursued. But food and drink to me, I think, is kind of like, you know, it's, it's definitely my passion point. And I think I am one of those weird people that is happy to wander around Whole Foods browsing the shelves for... A good hour and a half but, uh, on a Saturday afternoon is something like nice to do. Um, so yeah, I've definitely got a kind of passion for it. And did you start selling the nut butters at Maltby as a kind of side project? Yeah, that was I guess for me. Um, I'd already come up with the idea for Pippa Nuts. Um, I start, I trialled and kind of created the products in my kitchen. Mm. And I think for me, I from day one, I'd always when I first came up with the idea of it, I wanted Pippin Up to be a national brand. Um, you know, I was really inspired. I think when I started to kind of research the food and drink sector a bit more, um, I was really inspired by a few other brands that had done some incredible things in, in what was quite a relatively short space of time, but created really amazing brands. 
And so Maltby Street was for me more of an opportunity to dip my toe and kind of see whether or not I was actually... I think, I think there's something about when you first have an idea, you have to get it out of your head in some form. And I think there's something really great about creating the product and, and getting people to give you feedback in that instant. And there is quite a lot of risk with starting a food brand um, or any business whatsoever. And I think for me, I just needed to kind of assess before I really threw myself into it. You know, did I, did I like this? Did I like the feeling of working for myself? Um, did people like the products? And on a really micro level, you get a really basic understanding of the different things that you're going to need to have to start to work on. So whether that's ingredient sourcing to small-scale production, I mean, that was me and myself and I when I was at Maltby. But, yeah, it gives you an understanding of how you might have to pull together a product and then, you know, what what you might have to kind of communicate to consumers to persuade them to, to buy. So, yeah, Maltby Street, I mean, I love... I sometimes like look back on those days and I just it's, the markets are so great and they're really fun communities to kind of be part of. Um, you know, being next door to kind of different like store holders, like they there's so much energy at them and I think it really gave me a little bit of a taster of what was coming to some extent. Um, but what what we are now is just so so different from that. But it, it was my trial phase, it was sort of three month consumer testing is what I say now. I like that you started from that standpoint. I feel like the common thread is that you started as a passion project mm. and then you build it, but you actually already had this in mind to build a national and now international mm. brand. I think that's a really interesting aspect. Mm. I think I think for me, the food was a big part of the, the starting of it, but also more broadly, I loved that if you have a brand that you stock nationally, you actually have the ability to affect change in mm. some in, on, a, on a bigger scale than you can at, at say, a market stall. And that's not to say that one is better or worse than the other, but I love the fact that from a brand perspective, you you have a, a core to what you're doing, you have a mission, a, a purpose, and you really, um, it's almost slightly bigger than just the food itself, that like you're projecting a kind of um, a perspective on what, um, you know, on food and you know hopefully encouraging people from 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 our side of things to be healthier and make healthier choices and you know create a better relationship with food like really enjoy the stuff that they eat so I think that for me was what got me excited it's it's like this bigger beast in some ways a bit more holistic more impact Mm. yeah I like that yeah that's great and so once you'd had the idea for the nut butters, mm. what was kind of at the very beginning that process of implementation and did you know how to make nut butter? Were you already doing it for your own sort of consumption? Yeah, good question. I mean, I didn't really know how to make it, so I think I saw the gap and was like, oh, there's definitely a need for like a, you know, a bit more of an innovative brand in this space and um, I didn't particularly like a lot of the brands at the time because they had things like palm oil in. So I was like, you know, I think you can probably take this out. Um, so I initially literally just bought a blender, like a, a fancy RoboCube, so, a, you know, a posh one, and and just trialled them in my kitchen. So, and it, it isn't an overly complicated product to make. I mean, you can pick up most kind of kind of healthy cookbooks and they'll have a recipe recipe to kind of make nut butter and it, it's not complicated. You can roast them in the oven and then put them in a blender and blend them up. So, um, yeah, without giving away our trade secrets on that <laughs> one, but it's simple to make. So in some ways, um, it was quite straightforward, but the flavour creations, like being a bit more experimental, that requires a little bit more play, like kind of tweaking and changing. 
but you know our ingredients are all on the back of the pack something you can buy in a supermarket and that's kind of a big part of the fact that for our brand you need to be able to recognize the ingredients but the steps I think I took was um you know first and foremost trial and test it and I cannot emphasize it enough in terms of getting some form of like minimal viable products to kind of put in front of people that you don't know and I think it really helps to kind of and get that honest feedback which you just don't get from anyone else from friends family and and then I think once you get that you have with a food or drink product like a couple of key kind of decisions which is like are you going to outsource your production and and work with a partner to kind of create what you've been making in your kitchen but give it some scale or are you going to you know build your own factory and essentially be a kind of manufacturer in that sense and I think my appetite was more to work with a partner so I could focus on how to build the brand and how to sell it and things like that. So the first step was really finding that factory and oh, it is the worst part <laughs> of any journey and I think most food and drink brands will say like it's the hardest bit because you're not only not really sure how to find a factory but also you then walk into these big industrial estates and you know you put on a hairnet and you have real no, no sense on really what at scale big production facilities are and what why they would want to work with you because you have no like volume and they're very functional in the way that they talk so you might think about this big amazing brand that you want to create but what they want is how many tons you're gonna you know in, put give give me essentially so it's a kind of different language that you have to learn mm-hmm. um and then the second choice is kind of like how are you going to fund it so I was 24 at the time and didn't really have any money <laughs> whatsoever so um, my, you kind of have to decide am I going to fund this and grow this thing organically and it'll be potentially a little bit of a slower journey but you'll own the whole bit of your business or you raise some money to kind of accelerate it and essentially enable you to kind of grow a little bit quicker than you would if you if you didn't have the cash and I chose the kind of investment route so about four or five months before I launched the brand I did a crowdfunding campaign on Crowdcube um, to raise the kind of capital I needed to launch and that was the kind of second big thing and uh, kind of take off the to-do list before getting going. Why did you choose crowdfunding at that point? I think for me Crowdcube which is kind of the equity kind of version of fund, crowdfund, crowdfunding so you can do use Kickstarter which is more kind of can you offer um, goods for for um, for money essentially. Um, Crowdcube is great because if I had no business experience no track record in food and drink, no um, sales to speak of because I was pre-revenue when I was launching uh, on crowdfunding. Um, all I had was a really beautiful brand and a you know potential product that could sell quite a lot, um, or at least I thought it could. Um, so I think for me, Crowdcube allowed me to kind of A, call in people from friends and family because you can kind of direct them all to it. So it's a friends and families round and some. So push them towards a platform that they could put anything from a fiver to you know, hypothetically £10,000 or something like that. So it allowed me to kind of, you know, give someone like a, a, a point to put that money. And also I think I did speak to a lot of private angels and found it really difficult to get anyone to put their money against what I was saying I was going to do. And I think, fair enough, I didn't have a track record. So mm. it was probably quite a risky move for anyone. So I felt like actually rather than getting one person to, to kind of foot the first 100000 that I needed... Um, I could just spread it across, I don't know, we ended up with 80 investors off the back of that, and it just meant it was an easier 
um, easier way to get the funds and less risk for any one person. Mm. Um, and it's super quick. So we, we raised it in eight days, the funds, and oh then we kind gosh. of are, wow. got to go and do what you said you're going to do. And it is a funny feeling when you suddenly raise the money because you build so much towards that moment of closing the campaign. And then you're like, oh my God, I've actually got to like, <laughs> say what I said I was going to do. Like, there's no go back now feeling. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a great, great f- source of funding if you're kind of early stage mm-hmm. um, and maybe like me, you don't have a lot of experience. Were you able to get some expertise from the people who invested um, so initially? I, actually, they're quite sort of backseat investors. So okay. um, a couple of people I built a bit more kind of relationship with to give us a bit of support along the way. But I think they probably say that they kind of let you get on with what you need to do, which is great. That's kind of what you want. You, you want to feel like you still run the business 100% yourself and um, you just don't have the complexity of having to do kind of long board meetings and you can just run with it. I did get bring in... Um, uh, a mentor, uh, a guy who um, was very experienced in kind of food and drink post the crowdfunding to give me a bit more experience and I, I think if you haven't worked in food and drink having a mentor of some kind is a great way to kind of give yourself access to information that you just won't know unless you have worked in the industry for a number of years so mm-hmm. brought him on and he actually became our largest investor since then so he's been a great one for, for me personally but also more broadly the business from a funding perspective um, but yeah, you, you can definitely learn a lot by just getting on and doing it. And he, yeah, getting advice at particular points is useful. And there's there's nothing to be said about just really cracking on and just <laughs> just learning as you do it because um, yeah. it's it's not so complicated. You can kind of sort of tweak it as you go along. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah, it just probably means that you'll make a few more mistakes along the way. And mm-hmm you just got to accept as part of the course um, and yeah get input I mean I, I really recommend a mentor but you don't need someone to be there 24-7 telling you what mm-hmm. to do you can learn a couple of key things get a couple of models that are useful and then get you know a finance person to make sure you're, you're not doing anything too crazy yeah and like you said those people are because you don't ha- you didn't have a track record mm-hmm. they're investing in you and your vision yeah. and they're trusting you to push forward with that so it's kind of it's nice. They can see that you've got that drive and now mm. you've got the funds to actually take it in a direction that you yeah, wanted. Totally. And I say that probably as as you start you know, we've done a few funding rounds since, like that does shift in a a bit as you get a bit more mature because actually later down the line it is actually very helpful to have slightly more active investors that are helpful mm. at helping drive and make decisions around what where you should go. But you know, the first year really is just about like go and do it see whether the products have any resonance with shoppers and that's what's really important is like is there a product market fit and and if there is then that's when you should then look at how how to keep you know accelerating it um yeah did you have the branding in place when you did that crowdfunding like the logo as we see it now yeah it was already done yeah, yeah so it was all it was a business ready to go so okay. products were developed the factory the the branding was complete. Um, we had a first customer, Selfridges, sort of loosely signed up. So, you know, we had the, the bit what you need, basically. So I, I don't think you should go onto a particular equity crowdfunding site until you've got your products and your supply chain and everything lined up and good to mm-hmm. go because they probably won't let you raise the money. But if you're at that stage where everything's good and you've, you, you, you feel confident in that you can actually deliver and produce, then 
yeah, that's the point to kind of start looking at it. So what was the first step after getting your funds? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we launched, so after crowdfunding, we launched about four months after that. So press go on production and everything starts to move pretty quickly from that point. We managed to get it onto Selfish Shells on time from January 2015. So it was a great kind of time to launch. Um, no strategy involved in that, it was just when it was ready. <laughs> but it was great because it was a healthy January. It's like a yeah. great time to launch a food brand. And and really, we, we just spent the first... It was me and um, Tom, who still works for us. He works on our kind of sales team. But just me and him in a co-working space in Bethnal Green, um, selling as hard as we possibly could. And I, I, there's something about just... You have to... I mean, at that first six months, it's just all about the sales. Like, yes, make sure those sales are really good. So we make like, all the high-end gyms or great, you know, delis and things like that all around London. Um, but it was just chaos, and it really was just a, um, yeah, out there on the streets. So you were going to into all these people. places, just giving them samples. And yeah, things. selling into stores, whilst also trying to feed the larger supermarkets with and kind of get in contact mm. with them. So it was a bit of a double barrel thing mm. of going after building the brand from those small small stores, whilst also working to try and win a larger listing to kind of um, take the brand a bit more nationwide. Um, and yeah, it is a kind of bit of a baptism of fire because you are trying to cover all your bases and do a bit of everything and, you know, you never really feel like you do anything 100% perfect because you've just got, not got the time. Um, so we worked with a kind of PR agency from the day one to kind of help kind of get get, get a buzz around the brand. Um, social media has always been a bit of a stronghold for us and we organically started to pick up quite a lot of followers, so that was great. Um, and then we'd pop up at any events that we could get our hands on at the weekends um, so it was a bit of a 24-7 job, particularly in the first, I'd say, two to three years, was just kind of non-stop, you know, trying to do as much during the day, and then at the weekends you'd be, like, at events, trying to do your kind of marketing hats and, and talk to as many people as possible. I thought your toast bars were really good marketing. So you mm. did one of your first events was the Nike yeah. women's run. Yeah. Amazing. What an event to, like, <laughs> be at. Um, how did you come up with that idea for the toast bar? Yeah, I mean, it was a funny one because at the time I was like, I don't think this is really going to work. I have no idea how we'll serve this is in the particular case of Nikes. Um, so we approached them to kind of work with them on their event. And um, I think for us, we knew if we were going to do something with them, and they did sort of emphasize when we first met, like we had to bring something a bit more added value. So they were building a really great experience for all their kind of like runners and what they wanted in the village was like, you know, some great activation from other brands that kind of complemented what they were about, you know, really trying to encourage women to, to run and, and that whole experience, which food is a big part of it because, you know, you do a big run, you want a good meal afterwards. And yeah, so I mean, for us, we've always had the challenge that our products are not like a packet of crisps. You can't just open them up and then people eat it. So you know that you needed to kind of create something a bit more like that someone could eat instantly in that moment so that you know that everyone's had a chance to try it. So the toast bar was um, a creation where we were like, well, it's going to be a nightmare, but it will, it's, it will be a great experience. And what we decided to do is kind of almost like a gourmet subway, if you like. So get some great sourdough from, I think we worked with um, Pavilion Bakery at the time, great sourdough and loads of different toppings and people could basically just choose whatever they wanted. So whatever nut butter and then... You know, we did loads of kind of like marinated strawberries right the way through to kind of like just loads of seeds and it was really tasty and essentially people chose what they wanted and 
the great thing about it, without really again having too much like strategic thoughts into it, was that it just creates a really great Instagramable plate of foods. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we worked with Nike on sort of ten different events after that, and and I think it was partly because it just it really met the need that was that people wanted at that moment, which is like something really nourishing and filling, um, tasty, but also something you, you kind of want to like share with your friends and talk about. And um, and it was such a simple concept. I mean. Honestly, I think we worked out that we've, we've served over something ridiculous, like over, I don't want to put a number on, but something like 30,000 pieces of toast since we've launched. <laughs> we've done them all over the shop from different events to in offices, um, and it's just a nice way, we call it like the perfect serve, and you know, for us, it's, if someone's going to try it for the first time, it's probably the best experience you'll have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good way to showcase yeah. your products. I've eaten a lot of toast now in my time. <laughs> <laughs> so you launched with three flavours, did yeah. you also launch with the pouches at the same time? Yeah, within the first six months okay. we kind of introduced the squeeze packs, um, so, and the, the reasoning behind that was um, with our initial range we had a peanut butter, an almond butter and a coconut almond and we were like well we've got to have a peanut butter because everyone knows it, it's like what you'll expect from a brand like ours and it's the entry point I guess. Mm -hmm. Almond butter was kind of a rising trend, wasn't really in every supermarket at that point but it was certainly bubbling up in kind of people's you know Instagram feeds and so on and then coconut almond was our like bit of a twist on something and, and bringing something new to um, this category I guess. And squeeze packs, again, for me, I, you know, in my background, I was doing lots of running at the time. It's part of the inspiration behind the brand. And I used to have all these, like, energy gels. And, like, I, I hate them with a passion. Like, if you're doing long runs, they just do horrible things. Um, and I thought, actually, it would be great to have something that was real food. So our squeeze packs, I wouldn't necessarily recommend them for running during, but they're great post and pre as a kind of protein hit. So it was the idea that, you know, people could grab them as, like, kind of a great kind of addition to, uh, you know, nutrition post-exercise. Post um, but also, you know, I don't know about you, but I always like, eat nut butter straight from the jar. Like, I think it's more than often that people's number one way of eating it, although they don't miss it. So, again, it was kind of like, actually, this could work in a format, like, on a kind of ready-to-eat kind of format. So, thinking that, actually, if you want, like, a really clean snack, this is probably as clean as you'll probably get, and it's, like, really tasty as well. And was it harder to get people, customers, to buy the flavoured nut butters because they were slightly different, or did they were they really popular from the beginning? Um, they've always been really popular, and I think they're all uh, the plain flavours do sell better than our, our flavours. But um, we we do have a much younger shopper base, so people our like target consumers are like probably like us basically, it's 18 to 35 um, and actually I think our generation are way more experimental in the way that we'll kind of try things. What we do find is that our flavours are kind of like a, people add them onto their kind of weekly shop. So you might buy a peanut butter and then maybe try like our limited edition on top. So that's kind of how they kind of treat our range. It's like you may not eat a chocolate orange almond butter every time but it's a nice kind of treat if you're wanting something to kind of experiment with um, and yeah I certainly think that it probably wouldn't be the f often it's not like the first thing that people maybe choose if they're looking at our range I think normally you do try and try the staple and then try it outside of that yeah go safe and then yeah play around it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the coconut almond I saw like was proper innovation as well as the the squeeze packs as well they were mm-hmm. completely new to market before that it was just peanut butter I know almond butter was slightly starting to become mm-hmm. a thing but it really was just peanut butter and mostly peanut butter which was had sugar in it or palm oil in it yeah. you were definitely yeah. paving the way for you know now we've had an explosion of yeah, so much choice now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as we've mentioned, the product doesn't have palm oil in. It's basically the nuts and then your added flavourings. Mm. Why was that so important to you? Um, for me, having... I think one of the main reasons for actually starting the brand was that when I was shopping in the supermarket, every brand that I picked up had palm oil in. A lot of them had refined sugars too. And I just felt like it, it was just an unnecessary ingredient um, so palm oil basically acts as like a stabilizer in the product so most products with palm oil you won't see any oil rising to the top it just holds the products together um, so it doesn't really add any like flavor benefits it's not I mean there's a texture thing that for sure but and a kind of experience we have to you have to stir our products to kind of make them back into one um, one kind of blend the oil back in but it doesn't add any add anything yet you know it's not great for you like it's high in saturated fats um, but also it's not great for the environment either and you know it's one of the biggest forms of deforestation I was like well it's just really there as like an ingredient that really shouldn't be there um, and I think for us it's like we do have oil that sits on the top and I know that will put some people off it may mean that some people will never buy us which is fine but I think also it's a cue to a lot of people that it is a hundred percent natural and I think there is a big shift anyway in supermarkets for and it's one of the reasons why there's been so many great independent brands coming through um but there's a big shift for i think brands to clean up the ingredients that are going into their products and i think shoppers are becoming really quite demanding you know and i think quite rightly so that they are demanding that you know that they want real food when they're picking it up and that there's a, a much more movement towards natural over something slightly more processed and I think I don't think that trend is going to step, stop and I do think as well from a kind of um, kind of nutritional perspective there's I think a lot of uh, two different camps people that feel that actually what is being healthy is eating a balanced diet a varied diet and it's not about calorie counting or low fat this and, and kind of processed products that enable you to do that. So I think as well, um, that kind of natural trend is, is really pushing forwards and um, people want real ingredients in there. So taking out things that I think just don't add any value to a product is important. And I think anything else that we do is all about making sure that people recognise the ingredients going into their products. And it's, it's about being natural and offering a better for you option. Um, than what's currently existing um, so it's a nice place to be I think as well because from our perspective we know that our products are genuinely really good for you and we can we can feel confident in saying that and there's no hidden there's nothing hidden there and it, it's something the simplicity of having one ingredient and or we have our almond butter with a little bit of sea salt which we add for flavour rather than for anything else and there's just something really purist about that which I love and it's again one of the reasons why I like the product so much is that there's no messing with it. It really has to stack up by itself um, by the quality of the ingredients that are in it. Yeah, and the texture of your nut butters is so amazing. It stays creamy. It yeah. never dries out, whereas yeah. I find a lot of 
either supermarkets mm. own or other brands after a couple of weeks it yeah. kind of dries out and I just don't find that with yours and yeah. it feels like it's because of the quality of the ingredients yeah and I think we, we um the texture is quite important and making sure it's really glossy so we do mill them quite fine and that's kind of part of the you know appeal for them it means that a they're really nice and smooth and creamy but also um you can put them in loads of different things like porridge or yeah. smoothies and things like that so quite versatile in that sense how was that process of sourcing the ingredients did your manufacturer help with that because if you yeah like you said you've got your plain almond butter and you've got your plain peanut butter mm. you can really taste the difference in mm. the peanuts between another alternative pure plain peanut yeah. butter so clearly they are making a massive difference to the flavor so yeah how is that process of sourcing yeah i think you have to rely on um we did rely to some extent on our factories to be able to offer their advice as to like what, what they'd recommend. But we've always, from day one, um, paid a premium to kind of get better quality ingredients. So, for instance, we have Argentinian Hyalet peanuts, which is a really nerdy um, way of saying it. But they're basically single-sourced, and we get them from a, um, a Hyalet are particularly good because they're actually higher in mono-unsaturated fats, so it's kind of better for the heart and cholesterol. Um, and they're naturally really sweet, so they're just a much sweeter flavour than if you were buying like American peanuts or Chinese peanuts. So it's as much for the health benefits as it is for like the flavour. Um, so yeah, I think it's that, and then it's just making sure that when you are producing, like you're getting consistency across your product. So you're roasting it to the right level, so that there's a really nice roasted flavour. There's no burnt notes or bland notes, um, and the right like we add salt because actually we think it enhances flavour and we use kind of crystals because they land better in terms of rum and um, really fine salt so I, I don't know I guess it's the real when you are working with a really simple product you, you have to pay attention to the small details mm -hmm. and um, yeah making sure you work with really good partners to get the best quality is, is absolutely fundamental um, and we we do make sure that we pay a lot of attention to like, the quality of our products so, yeah, it is, and it's tough, isn't it? Because, you know, there are lots of peanut butters out there. So you've got to, and ours are a tiny bit, you know, more expensive on the premium end versus, say, an own label. So you have to justify that price um, to shoppers because, again, people don't, people aren't stupid at all. What is the conversation around your new flavours? Is that a kind of um, ongoing brainstorm with your team who's involved in creating the, the new flavours that you bring out? Yeah, so initially it was just me, so when we were really small I'd just get back in the kitchen and, and put my blender on again. Um, but now we have a product developer to help with the process and um, I think for us we kind of focus a little bit on how do you be a bit indulgent at the same time as um, being quite kind of like healthy for you so oh, we have a limited edition that we rotate out every six months um six to nine months at the moment it's a chocolate orange almond butter but you know previous that it was a chocolate coconut hazelnut and we've got a new edition coming out in about two months time so it'll land at the beginning of april and for us it's like it, it's just it's my favorite part of the job if i'm honest like it's so fun being able to kind of conceptually have a brainstorm and throw around a load of different ideas or ask people on social media what they want us from us and then kind of playing around to work out how to make it and kind of bring it to life 
and I think particularly our limited edition give, gives us the scope to be quite a uh, bit more out there when it comes to flavour um, and, and really kind of challenge whether or not people are ready for it. So the next one's probably like the most unusual we've gotten um, and it's, yeah, it's super tasty um, but it, it really does start as you would imagine which is we, we get in a kitchen and, and play around with those ingredients and different variations of each of those recipes and kind of try to hone down kind of flavour profile we, that we think works. Um, and I get a lot of inspiration from, I think, like, you know, other categories, other kind of products in the market um, that may not be in nut buses, more kind of broader than that, or even just kind of, you know, restaurants or cafes and things like that are doing sort of great kind of flavour profiles. Um, so, you know, there's actually, we're quite fortunate that nut buses and peanut buses, are, they, have, they take flavour really well. Um, and you can really kind of, yeah, you can add a lot to them, and I think that's kind of part of the fun of it, which is that actually got a great base to work with, so you can actually go, you know, you can go as savoury as much as sweet. Um, so yeah, so watch the space for the next one. But yeah, it's probably, it's definitely my favourite part of the job, it's so fun. And do limited editions ever become permanent if they do really well? Yeah, so we, we had a crunch maple peanut as our first limited edition, and we we did deliberate on it for a while, because we were like, oh, the point of them is that they're limited, and they're meant to be, like, scarce. Um, but that one sold just so well um, that we put it into our permanent range. Um, and it is hard, because they are popular, but I think the, the challenge for, for our brand is that you can only have so many flavours before you end up just either confusing people with what you offer, or you just don't have enough space to be able to get it into stores. Yeah. So it's really unfortunate, because I would, if I had my own way, I'd have <laughs> like 20 different flavours, and it'd be a whole shop full of different options but um, we have to be quite selective so if something doesn't work as well we're, we're quite happy to kind of take it off and try something new um, so yeah we've done that as well with some of our other flavors as well we kind of flipped them um, but yeah if it's really a smash hit then we'll think about putting it into our family range. Have you got a secret stash in the office of all the previous flavors? <laughs> yeah well yeah we um we used to have a range of cashew butters that we take, took out. Um, we had a honey cinnamon cashew oh, butter. So good. And I loved yeah. it. For yeah. some reason, it didn't sell as well. So, um, and I was quite sad about that because it, it just means it's that so we good. no longer have it. it we, we, we got rid of it a, couple, a year and a half ago, so it's no longer in date. Sad. But yeah, I mean, it's just part of the nature of the game, really. But um, did cashew butter in general just not taste it's as so well? It's so tasty. I like love it. Really it is delicious, fun. isn't it? Um, yeah, you, never, never say never. It won't come back. Mm. I think it just wasn't as popular as our almond buses or our peanut buses, so yeah. we um, took it out of our range. But they're not as popular in the UK as um, peanuts number one and almonds and hazelnut buses. Pretty popular, and, and cashew kind of comes next. Mm. Hazelnut is so good, but it must be really expensive. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at like seven pounds a jar, but it yeah. is so pure. Hazelnut butter is amazing. Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, so you mentioned that you started. Um, you had Tom at the beginning, who mm -hmm. still works with you. When did you start? You've obviously got sort of a a team behind you now. Mm -hmm. When did you start actively building the team? Um, so there's thirteen of us in the team at the moment, and it. So it was still quite quite small in, in lots of ways, but um, we and we and we have slowly grown over the past few years. Um, so I think we're at a really lovely stage where you know we've got a bigger team and you know 
bit more experience as well coming through, which is really helpful for everyone, um, but still quite a tight-knit kind of family unit. Um, I'd say that most people know pretty much what other people are doing in the company and have a good sense of the whole thing, which I think it, you know, it's like one of the blessings and like amazing things about a startup is that you have this like real ability to be able to like really understand what a business, how a business runs, because it's just so not just, it's so reliant on so many different factors going away and to have a certain infrastructure in place that works. And I think it must be, I think, so interesting for some of my team, like especially more junior members, to really suddenly get a bit so much exposure to so much information. But yeah, we um, we built out our team, I guess, as sort of things became necessary. So, like I said, sales was just like the number one thing. You know, you've got to get some some sales in at the first, but then. Then when those grew, it suddenly became like a challenge for operations. And I remember I was running our operations at the time. I'm not an ops person. I get very stressed. <laughs> so that was like the first thing to kind of hand off to someone else who could could streamline it. And then and then marketing. When you suddenly have, you know, a, a good kind of setup, you kind of need to be able to tell more people about it. So that kind of became the the next kind of key hires. And you know, from there you kind of build out more experience into the team and. And really, kind of, I think take it in stages because there's a temptation temptation to go and hire lots of people, um, but I think you have to be really careful that you generally have the revenue to support it, but also um, that you don't bloat your team. You can actually get a lot done with quite a small team, and I think there's something to be said about you know um, also having jobs that are quite fluid so you know people will if they're working in the sales team still have to come and support on marketing events and it's finding those people that are in those early stages in particular a bit of an all-rounder and that actually don't mind if their jobs description is a little bit kind of you don't stick to it so much and I think we've been really lucky to have some absolutely amazing people who have just really grown with the company but also being that kind of pitch in go with the, roll with the punches um, kind of people and I think it takes a certain type of person I think to work for a startup it definitely wouldn't appeal to lots of people because particularly when you're very early stage I mean it really like I said earlier it's chaos so you have no no formal structures no HR department we still don't have an HR department now but you know there's you're really working from like ground zero um, so if you're like happy to kind of live in that kind of quite crazy world then you'll love it but if you're used to structure, it just will be a complete kind of, yeah. A bit too much. A bit too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need people that thrive on that yeah, environment. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, I do, yeah. Even now, like, sometimes I kind of nostalgically look back at, like, the early <laughs> days when I'd do samplings in Whole Foods and stuff and be like, oh, I miss that. Um, it's a really special moment, kind of time in a kind of company, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great to come across, you know, if you come across the founder... Well, sampling and whole foods, and that's amazing. Yeah, every, I, I keep saying I'm going to do gorilla ones, just every so often <laughs> just pop up. And uh, it's a surprise, not that I'm any form of celebrity at all, but it's really <laughs> nice to be able to talk to people. And like sometimes, uh, because I don't do that so much anymore now, you can feel a little bit detached from what's, what people are actually saying about your brand. So um, I love, like we do every year, um, we've done sort of Taste of London, like a big event in Regent's Park, and I love it for the fact that you get to like hear what people are saying, like 
see people's excitement when they say that, oh, okay, for now, I love that brand, or something <laughs> like that. And it's sometimes you'll hear it off the cuff as someone walks past and it, it sort of gives you the reason why you do it, which is, um, yeah, to get people to you know, love a product that you make and um, get excited by it. So, yeah, I think the downside of when you get a bit bigger is that you start, start to not be as in the in the doing as much you don't you're not quite as um yeah not able to get down and kind of get your hands dirty as much um not that like I say we're a big team I do think it's amazing how quickly you become this household name like it's not just something that people who are interested in wellness are buying you know you see it in everyone's kitchens just I'll just see it in a random person's kitchen like and they're just not they're not into wellness at all they're, they're yeah. just you know normal family people yeah and um it's really cool to see that yeah no it's funny I remember um before I launched and trying to you know when you go to like a dinner party and you don't know everyone there or like a wedding or something and you try and explain what you do and I'd have to go into this really lengthy explanation of like so it's a startup, and we run natural nut butters and no palm oil. Like this is the plan. Like really trying to put like meat around the bones, but they didn't. Because that's absolutely crazy. It's elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and Every now time. you can like not all the time, but more often than not, like now people. Oh yeah, I've heard of that brand. Mm-hmm. And so it's really like it's a bit like a it's quite satisfying because it's slowly getting more and more. Like if I more often now, I feel confident that if it's someone that I'm speaking to in London, they probably heard of the brand. They might not mm-hmm. buy it, but. Um, but we've still got quite a way to go. Like if you go out London, less 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 likely probably. Um, but yeah, it's a nice feeling to suddenly feel like people start to know or have be buying your product. It's 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 wicked. So you've written a cookbook called the Nut Butter Cookbook. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of an obvious title. <laughs> Um, how did that come about? Were you approached to write that? Um, yeah, we were approached by one publisher, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I've not really thought about that. So then we reached out to a few more, um, and then like, working with Hardy Grant on it. Um, and yeah, we, yeah, it was a funny journey, actually, because um, it's actually really hard doing a cookbook. I was like, oh, yeah, no problem, we'll write one. <laughs> and then it got down to like, the doing, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to create 70 recipes um, bespoke recipes and then trial them at least twice to make sure that they work uh, at least and then write it and get it out and I think we had four months to do it and I remember doing like these weekends because I've got at the time I had a really small kitchen in London I was living in Stockwell and um, so I'd go back to my parents house in um, Reading and use their kitchen and I'd spend like the whole weekend blitzing it so I'd try and do as many as possible and it was quite funny because my dad would be like at first, you'd be like, this is great, like, <laughs> it's great, all these brownies and, like, delicious recipes coming out of the kitchen. By the end of the weekend, he was like, no more. <laughs> I absolutely cannot stand it anymore. Um, and it's, the thing with nut butter is that um, it is quite a rich ingredient and quite heavy. So if you eat quite a lot of it, you feel like, literally, like, you, all you want is salad afterwards. <laughs> it's quite, um, can get a bit much after, like, 20 recipes. Um but it was a fun. It, it was a really fun thing to do, and actually, it was great for Mark. Kind of, we it was as much a marketing thing as it was to kind of, you know, sell the sell the, you know, nut butter generally. But um, yeah, it was great because it, you know, it, 
gave some inspiration to people and we've used the recipes you know still do use the recipes now as a kind of inspiration tool to be like here's all the different ways it's not just on toast that you can enjoy it and if you are going to have it on toast here's some more experimental ways of eating it um but yeah i have a like newfound respect for people that make or create a cookbook um ours was only 70 recipes I mean, you get much bigger ones than what i did and they are hard because you really have to kind of I don't know, it's the testing of it and the intricacy of it. And then the food photography as well. There's like a whole other ball game. We, we work with some really creative photographers to make the food look even better than what I could do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a great kind of tool and asset that we have now. Um, I'd love to do another one, if I'm honest. Um, get back in the kitchen. <laughs> um, we'll see. We haven't, got, we haven't got one in the pipeline. Maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. <laughs> What's the most common way that you would have your nut butter how would you eat it most on porridge yeah yeah consistently it, when it gets a bit warm less so but um yeah at the moment it's just porridge so current flavor of choice at the moment i love our honey almond butter but at the moment eating a lot of just peanut butter uh, which is really boring well, not boring i shouldn't no, say that it's but good. it's the, the standard staple um, I also love it on sort of oat cakes as well. That's one of my favourite kind of afternoon snacks. Um, yeah, more often than not, actually, it's in the afternoon as well now. So I tend to find it's like a good like pick me up midway through the day. Yeah. And again, don't feel that bad about it. You're like, oh, it's not much. It's like very, it's clean. It's healthy. It's all right. I like it stuffed into dates. Oh yeah, that is like Gosh. really delicious. Yeah. Quite quite naughty though. In a good way. It's yeah. not that. It's not badly. It feels quite naughty. It feels like a good solid snack, like yeah. it's filling. Yeah. 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 Mm. Satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> do you structure your week in a particular way? Um, I do as much as I possibly can. Um, so, so for me, I've tried lots of different things over the years because I think. Um, with a food and drink or any business, it has the ability to be able to assume everything and you just get taken over by your business. So I feel like now I'm hitting a point where I've got a little bit more balance in my life, but it's still probably, arguably, business does still take over a bit. But I, I aim, for instance, if I'm just thinking about my work week, I try as much as possible to keep like internal meetings and external meetings kind of to one day. So, for instance, all my internal meetings happen on Mondays with like one to ones and things like that. So, so that I'm focused on like just being in the office. So I'm not trying to run here, there, and everywhere in between. Also trying to meet my team and things like that. So I try little things like that and and try one day working from home as well. So try and take normally it's Fridays, although um, not not playing by that today, but. Yeah, normally I, d I take Fridays off as a way to kind of, again, if I'm working from home, a bit more quiet time means I can focus on some of the things that I need to do that require a bit more thinking. So I guess that like, crudely, that's how I work it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, at the, I'm quite lucky now. I feel like I get my week weekends back. Previously, it was much more like it would creep into the weekends. So I don't really have to do much. And I have a kind of bit of a, a rule now where I try and, at the very most days try and finish by seven. I start kind of at around, uh, normally try and be the first one in, so anyone where from like quarter to like half seven to eight will when I get in. So um, I try, I'm a bit of an early bird, so I'd rather get in early and then be able to leave and kind of be able to be with my boyfriend and stuff and actually 
have a bit of a life and, and get in one hour early or a couple of hours early on people and, and, and blitz a few things before people have started to kind of come in and ask me questions. Um, yeah, it's nice to start before too many emails start coming <laughs> yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's always one thing that you're like, you want to get done by the yeah. end of the week, and that'll be the thing that I'll try and start with. Um, and I guess personally, um, and I guess personally, um, trying to get a bit of structure around making sure you, I spend a bit of time looking after myself. And I do yeah. think, like, it sounds a bit cliche again, like, kind of, you know, the, if, but I do believe that if you look after yourself, you are a better person at the end of the day and you've got to make sure that there's some sign for yourself. And so I think exercise is a great way of doing it, but even, um, you know, I'd be, you know, for the past year, I've downloaded the app Calm and I really, I think it's one of the best apps I've ever, ever got. It's all about kind of, has like mindfulness sessions and things like that, sleep stories, and it's, it's a great app and it's really easy to kind of do 10 minutes just in the morning to reset your brain and make sure that your you, your brain isn't always running 100 miles an hour. So in the mornings, I guess it, for me, it's like if I can get a, piece, a bit, you know, exercise in at least four times a week, I kind of feel like a normal person and try and regularly as possible kind of do a mindfulness you know, I, I generally think it enhances the way that I work. Um, so, yeah, both of those things I think are really important. I think um, kind of you can really run yourself down and burn yourself out quite quickly if you don't give yourself some time off and weekends and things like that and also kind of some structure in that sense to your kind of personal life. Um, so, yeah, but it's no, by no means perfect. And there are weeks where everything goes and you end up just being run ragged here, there and everywhere. But I kind of, I do love the pace of it. And it's kind of the reason why I do it um, is because I, I just, I love it. I just absolutely love it. And if, it, if, if sometimes if I had my way, I think I would spend all my time working on the business. But I know in the long run, that's not really going to make me happy. Like friends and family, like that's just so important that you've got, got to give time for that. Yeah so true but then I hate saying this sort of stuff because sometimes I think no I think it sounds a bit preachy I think you said it really well I don't think I really do that every day um yeah sometimes I go weeks without doing anything (laughs) any running or any yeah what is in the future for Pippa Nut some of Pipeline yeah well yeah we've got a lot going on um we've got about 11 products launching this year and oh different gosh. products so um, they'll all start kind of rolling out from April onwards um, a lot kind of within nut butter so we've got some exciting new flavours um, as well as the new kind of new product range that we're launching and that isn't in our nut butter range um, which will come out in September um, so that's exciting and then from a kind of biggest perspective I mean, for us, we just launched into Tesco about six months ago, so we're really just trying to, you know, make drive our awareness in that retailer in particular. Um, and we've got quite a number of different kind of, um, you know, we're still not in Waitrose, and we're working on that at the moment to kind of win win Waitrose. I know. It's like a perfect match. I was expecting to see it, and then I can't find it. I know. But we're working on that as well. So, yeah, we're really busy at the moment. The start of the year is always manic because you've kind of built all your plans and then you've got to go mm. for them in, in that year. So um, lots of new products. Um, seeing us in new places, we've got a few new listings coming out soon. 
and yeah, generally um, trying to get the word out there. Cool, we're we'll keeping an eye out for yeah. the in September. Yeah, yeah can't wait to see what you're yeah. launching. Mm. What do you feel has been your greatest achievement within Pepinart? Oh, there've been loads. I think that have been like proud moments. So, um, like obvious ones. I've got you know the first product that rolled off the production line. Um, I still re- I just vividly remember it. It was an almond bustle that came off first, and I remember the first time you pick it up. It's just after like two years of trying to find a way to kind of manufacture it and and find a partner. Like it was just such a moment because it's suddenly you're like my business is real now. So I've actually got a product. Um, and that's really great. Um, and then I think other proudest achievements, I think, for me, to be honest, like, when I walk into the office and I kind of get to say hello to my team and, you know, there's just such a nice bunch of people. They work so hard and they are just as passionate about what we're doing as I am. I just, I mean, really, on a, on a, like, on a yeah, it just makes me really proud. Like, that, for me, is, like, really great that um, we've managed to create a business that is filled with people that I love working with so you know for me I think that's um like on a day-to-day basis like it doesn't it's great like I feel really lucky in that sense yeah it's incredible Mm. where can people find Pippa Nut to buy where can you find it so we're in so all the big retailers so um Sainsbury's Tesco, Asda and Morrison's um and then all the kind of lovely beautiful stores like Whole Foods Selfridges, Fontenot, Mason's, Harrods, um, so all across London and kind of independent stores. And if we're not in a good independent <laughs> store, email us to let us know so we can reach out to them. Great. Where can people find you online? Um, so we're at Pippa Nut um, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter or pippanut.com. Cool. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much, much. guys. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at What's Cooking Podcast, on Twitter at What's Cooking Pod, or you can drop us an email at the What's Cooking Podcast at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us five stars. Bye. Bye.